Welcome to Over a Third. We're an Australian netball podcast on the Edge of the Crowds podcast network. I'm your host tonight. My name is Sarah and I'm joined tonight by Dan, just Dan, but he has got uh, a wealth of knowledge that is going to become very valuable later in this episode. So how are you, Dan? Well, I'm much better than I was this time last week when I was COVID positive and now thoughts go to Ellie, who is currently on the bench with the same ailment. Um it's kind of going around the edge of the crowd team at the moment, which is bizarre because we are fully remote. So it's not like we're sharing it in the office or anything. How are you, Sarah? Yeah, it's been a busy week in terms of netball. And uh, yes, we certainly have a fair bit to talk about tonight, despite the fact that no netball has been played. Uh, but yes, it's been a, a good week. And um, yes, unfortunately, Ellie is out tonight, but we will hopefully have plenty to talk about in her absence and she will rejoin us or Ariana as well, rejoin us next week. Um, shall we start with what? I mean, there was two big news stories this week. Yeah, there were. Let's start with the one that's maybe a bit more recent um, and a bit closer to to the netball quarter to be the easier maybe to, to translate to netball. And of course, that is the news that Romelda Aiken has not been, uh, Romelda Aiken George has not been contracted by the Firebirds for 2023, um, which honestly, I mean, maybe between you and I, I, I say I wasn't surprised that she wasn't contracted. I was surprised by the fact that it obviously wasn't handled in a way to prevent a social media firestorm, which is what we got because it wasn't done right by the looks of things. No, it looks like it was, uh, I think a statement could have been put out and this would have all been solved before the player herself took to Instagram um, on Monday morning and said that a lot of people had been asking if she'll be playing for the Firebirds next season. And quoting her Instagram story here, the answer is no. And that decision was not made by me. It was made by the club. And I put this in air quotes as Romelda did as well. Too risky, they say. So I will not be in the Firebirds next season. And with an upside down smiley face, which I have to say is one of my more commonly used emojis. But um, unfortunately, in this case, it seems like uh, this is the frustration of a player who's been very loyal to the Queensland Firebirds. And yes, it's not that surprising I mean she's still pregnant at this point she uh, as far as we know hasn't had her baby um and so to be thinking about playing in 2023 I mean yes a couple of other players at her club did that quick turnaround um and did get back on, out on court very quickly but um it, it's a hard spot for the Queensland Firebirds but it could have all been better dealt with yeah I mean the fact that Romelda is 34 and has a history of knee and ankle injuries is a big part of this. Um, and it's not to be considered maybe in the same way that a Kimi Rav or a Gretel Bueta who had a clean bill of health uh, half a dozen plus years younger um, and generally kind of had showed a bit more athleticism. I mean, even last season, we saw that Romelda was starting to rely more on her hold um, mm. than kind of getting out on the move. And so I think there is a part to the fact that, you know, from an on-court perspective, the way Danelle Wallen played this year, the Firebirds option really was to contract Danelle. And that was the right option on court. But there's something about the treatment of a player who's been a stalwart of your club for 15 years to do it in a way that is respectful enough that you don't have too risky as the Instagram story and what everyone's about because if that's the reason too risky that is a huge red flag because one it may be too risky because of pregnancy it may be too risky because of her history of knee and ankle injuries it may be too risky because the risk of Danelle getting a contract somewhere if she was offered only a training partner role next year is all of these things are risky mm -hmm. But the fact that it's not been set up clearly in a way and the fact that it took five hours to get a statement from Romelda's Instagram until the Queensland Fibers 
And I get that when a player takes to social media, the club is blindsided. Mm-hmm. But you had to have known that when you didn't contract Romelda, at some point you were going to have to announce that. And I don't think you could reasonably expect it to be the 22nd of July when the signing period ends. It was coming well before that and it had to. And the fact that it looks like they were scrambling around, even if that's not the case, is a really terrible look. Yeah, it's really hard as well because their statement that came five hours after the Instagram was then followed up by a clarification statement five hours later. Um, And both statements still don't really clarify that terminology of too risky that Romelu used in her Instagram post and that we're speaking about now about what exactly was risky. Um, they did say in their statement that Gretel Buetta, Donnell Wallum and Mia Stour, two Australian Diamonds players and one consistent long-range shooter, which obviously this competition at the moment requires you to have a long-range shooter, let's be honest, um, that they developed a strong and proven combination during the 2022 season. And, I mean, you can't deny that. That definitely happened. They were a strong combination. Um I mean, the other thing is obviously the fact that they don't have a head coach currently, but they also comment on that in their statement about the fact that list management is a committee and it is made up of the CEO, the COO, the GM of high performance and the head coach. So Megan Anderson may have had some influence prior to her leaving. Um, And now obviously they're without coach at the moment. Um, And then other coaching staff and elite performance um, people. So, I mean, this isn't a decision made by one person. This is also a decision that was made in conversation at some point with Romelda. They had to um, obviously tell her about their direction for the club. You would have thought a statement could have come out, even if it was between Saturday night and Monday morning before the player took to Instagram. But also, so we get from the statement that on Saturday night, Romelda was honoured for her 15 years of service to the club. The statement says that it was indicated that her playing future was yet to be determined, which means that either she hadn't decided whether she wanted to come back or the club hadn't decided whether they wanted to keep her or hadn't informed her of that decision. But you would have had to have think that you'd have some idea. And for me, one of the biggest things is that if I had been accused of something as, you know, potentially significant as what the Firebirds have been accused of by Romelda, I would be screaming my denial from the rooftops. The second statement said that they unequivocally deny that Romelda was not offered a contract because she is pregnant. It didn't say that she wasn't told it was too risky. It didn't say that she was offered, you know, a contract and failed a medical it didn't say anything. If it was me, I would have been screaming from the rooftops. We completely denied the entire story. And here is what actually happened. Because that's how you get in front of it. And you would have had to think that that had to be somewhat ready. It shouldn't have taken 10 hours for that to come together. That's a, a real miss by Ivert, um, and a real concern. But I also think it's indicative of maybe a bigger problem at the Firebirds. Yeah, well, I mean, the the signings and the other things that have come out of the past month or so, um, we've obviously, since the last episode, seen Gary Simpson, Ruby Backwardor and Andina Wallum all sign. And that's where you started to think, well, does is there a spot for Romelda as soon as Danelle signed? Um, however, there are still three holes because Kim Jenner is leaving the Firebirds um, and their uh, release about her leaving uh, sort of indicates that she might be off to another club though we're yet to find out where. Um, it does seem like the Firebirds are in a bit of a pickle. And this is the same spot that we were sitting talking about the Firebirds 12 months ago because we were saying that the defensive end was undergoing massive change as Tara Hinchliffe and Rudy Ellis departed and we were concerned about the forward section because Riley Batchelor had kind of been presumed to be coming in um, and didn't and Mia Stower did and there were concerns about Romelda's long-term future at the time 
mm-hmm. which we at that point we didn't know anything about the pregnancy it was just about the fact that she was a 15 year veteran who had knees and ankle problems <laughs> like you know that that's what happens when you get to that age and if I'm in the kind of shape where I could think about playing super netball at age 34, I'd be really happy given the state of my knees and ankles at the moment. <laughs> but it's the second year that we're seeing quite significant roster turnover. We don't have a head coach. And really, I would say that Firebirds PR have not mm. had a winning run really for, for a while now. Yeah. Um I'd say a solid year uh, because we have to think back to the start of the season when it was who's going to replace Romelda um, while she's on maternity leave. And there was a whole bunch of PR issues there um, due to some stories and some statements that were not very, uh, didn't clarify the information as perhaps best they could. So certainly is an interesting spot for the Firebirds to find themselves in 12 months later, because as you say, it does kind of feel like a bit of deja vu because this is exactly where we were talking about them in September, October last year, as we sort of started to head towards the signing period after the 2021 season. Um, And obviously that time we were waiting for a CBA, but now we have said CBA and we're still got a lot of questions about these Firebirds. When I feel for the comms team a little bit, because we're obviously having a crack at them at the moment, but one thing that keeps coming out is that these statements are not especially strong. Um, and part of that is probably because they're not getting the direction and the go ahead and the quotes from the higher ups to be strong. And that's indicative maybe of a, of a club wide problem. So I think it's going to be a space to watch. I don't know that we've got any answers, but certainly until we hear the other side of the story, it's not a great look for the Firebirds, what's happened here, and the handling might have been even worse. Yeah, it's it's definitely not an ideal spot for them to find themselves in. Uh, there are, of course, seven other clubs that we can talk about um, and they're signing news, and we'll, we'll start to sort of creep in on that because there's certainly been some moves this week um and so we're recording this on tuesday evening um so we uh have news up to date to 7 p.m uh, approximately on tuesday night which is uh yes includes the signing of lucy austin so anyway i'm excited but um we'll start with the collingwood magpies because they did announce uh last week that gabby sinclair and maggie lind would not be returning to the club in 2023 but they did announce that Naya Allen has signed. I like the signing of Naya, Naya Allen. She's an exciting prospect. Um, when having had opportunities over the last couple of seasons, she's looked really good. I've been tearing it up in the VNL. So mm. it makes sense. It's interesting because it does kind of change the dynamic of the circle. Uh, Allen likes Sinclair's a traditional goal attack, but Naya Allen's a bit taller. Mm-hmm. Uh, a bit more of a physical presence, whereas Gabby Sinclair was small and fast, and that presents a different challenge. But I still think that Naya Allen is not going to be the tonic that solves that shooting circle. They're going to have to work out what to do about Sophie Garvin and Shimona Nelson and how that duo works. Yeah, she might not solve all of their issues, but it's certainly an exciting signing for uh, the Victorian Pathways and also... Uh, the VN, obviously the VNL, because um, as Ellie has reported to us many weeks, <laughs> she's been tearing it up. And I mean, when we saw her take on uh, a couple of teams this year, when she filled in um, through Sophie Garvin's absence and other absences, um, yeah, she was great. Had a lot of energy. She's going to need to shoot the long ball though, because yeah. that is something that Gabby Sinclair had to do regularly. And Hopefully she has the Samerson-like skill mm. of just being able to go out there and just drop bombs because um, it's going to be really important that she does have that ability if she plays a similar role to Gabby Sinclair. And we don't know. Nicole Richardson's going to have to work out how to handle that. Um, mm-hmm. But she's a pretty good coach, so I imagine there'll be a solution of some kind. Yeah, definitely. Some some solutions there. I mean, they wouldn't have signed her to replace Gabby Sinclair and they wouldn't have... Um, released Gabby Sinclair if that was not the case, if they didn't have uh, hope for what Naya Allen can do. Uh, Another team that has made several changes or updates to their list this week uh, is Adelaide Thunderbirds. So they announced that Elle McDonald will not be returning to the club. Um, 
after two seasons in the pink dress, which um, is obviously disappointing for her. And, um, you know, you feel for these players that are um, having their contracts ended uh, after a couple of years at a club. But uh, there are three exciting signings. So we have Maisie Nankerville re-signing. Um, she was a vice-captain in 2022. So not overly shocked that she has re-signed. Um, then this evening we had the news that Lucy Austin has signed. Um, and then the big one is that Ellie Cardwell from uh, the UK will be making the trip down under and playing for the Adelaide Thunderbirds in 2023, which is super exciting. It is very exciting. Um, what I have learned from this is that Georgie Hordish is going to be a mid-quarter next year, I think. Yeah. Um, I expect that we'll see Tipper re-signing over the next couple of days or the next 10 days before the end of the signing period. But, of course, that is a prediction. But it's a very different-looking circle to mm. last year with Ellie Cardwell, who's got the versatility to play shooter and attack, but uh, a bit different to Tipper. She's a bit of a bigger body. Um, kind of the ability to hold, to get up the court and be a, a target and a presence rather than tip who's a bit more whip around and, and fast and agile. Um, and Lucy Austin can absolutely mix it at this level. We saw it a few times this year that she is ready for super netball. She can hang with anybody. She can outshoot entire teams for halves at a time if she needs to. Um, so there's no doubt that she can handle this level and it's a really exciting opportunity for the South Australian pathway, which has been one of the richest pathways in Australian netball. They just tend not to play for South Australia for very long. <laughs> they do tend not to play um, for the Adelaide team uh, in the domestic competition, but I guess that shows that they can take the talents elsewhere. Um, might also show that netball SA in the past has not perhaps valued their their pathway themselves, um, which is a little disappointing. But we've got th four at the moment, four Netball SA athletes signed. Um, we also have Taylor Williams who could re-sign. Um, that's really exciting, I think, and especially as a South Australian myself to see a pathway um, producing talented athletes like it is. Um, yeah, it's really exciting. And Lucy Austin went to my high school. She played netball with my sister. So it certainly is, um, yeah, really exciting to see her get a go. Well, and also, um, you know, she's been with the team and the T-Birds have talked for the last couple of years about having the continuity of the group. And even though Lucy Austin is a new signing, she's been part of the group at the T-Birds for a while now. For a couple of seasons, she's been a senior training partner, mm -hmm. kind of stepping in at times. So... Um, there is plenty of continuity. And I think Ellie Cardwell could be a real game changer. Um, it allows him to throw something totally different at attacking ends, at defensive ends, sorry. Um, and maybe the missing range, very different playing style to Lenise. Um, I think mm -hmm. Lucy Austin is more likely to fill the role that Lenise played. Um, and actually, we're going to see a goal attack looking very different to how it looked for most of this year because. Georgie and Tipper kind of split that role this year. And I think we're going to see Tipper as an impact player and Georgie in the wing attack bib almost full-time next year. Yeah, definitely. With these signings, I would have to think that uh, Georgie is now considered a wing attack um, specialist. <laughs> and that's where we'll see her all season because, yeah, I don't expect them to have uh, five shooters on their team. Um I mean the Lightning have four defenders, so... So, but, but, yeah, they're defenders. There's only really one that can play in attack, uh, in a wing defence role. So um, it'll be interesting to see if they can shift anyone else further up the court should they need um, Tipper or someone in wing attack would be interesting. But, of course, that is a prediction because, as we say, Tipper is not currently signed. Uh, shall we recap your Sydney team, Stan? Well... Um, we've just got that they're complete. Um, Sophie Fawns is the only addition to either Sydney team. The Giants are coming back unchanged and Kelly Singleton hasn't been renewed with the Swiss. Um, mm -hmm. And we're actually also waiting on three teams to have any update. Um, yeah. We haven't heard from the Vixens or the Fever, um, which might make sense because they're probably entitled to a holiday. They worked all the way up to really 
the day before the signing period started. So the media teams deserve a holiday, um, especially Steve at the Fever, who's obviously undergoing a bit of change. And um, we haven't heard from the Lightning either. So that's one spot at each of the Vixens and the Lightning that is unfilled that we haven't heard about. There's two spots at the FIFA, um, and we know that at least one of them will be a new player because Stacey francis Beeman hasn't announced that she will be retiring after Com Games. So where does that leave us with who's still to get sorted, I guess? Yeah, well, there, there are still a few gaps. Um, we have 10 days left of this signing period. Uh, and yes, a few gaps. So the Thunderbirds still have two positions to fill. And we've said mid-court, but... If Tipper's going to sign, it's going to be a shooter in a mid-quarter. But, uh, yeah, yeah, two Thunderbirds to come, two Magpies to come as well. So um, probably a defensive player and a mid-quarter based on where the gaps are in the current team. Uh, The Lightning, as you say, have one spot that is unsigned, have no update from them, probably looking at the mid-court, definitely not a defender. Has to be a mid quarter. You can't have four shooters, four defenders, and two mid quarters in your tent. Like it has to be a mid quarter. Well, I'd love to see them try and win the champ if they uh, have another shooter or another defender, yeah. and not They'll a just play above everyone else's heads. Like <laughs> use the height advantage. True. Um, Vixens have one uh, at the moment. Liv Lewis is the only player that they hadn't signed for two years, so just waiting to see whether it is her that gets a contract or whether they're looking elsewhere. The Firebirds is where there's quite a few gaps. They need three more players. They have approximately two defender and one midi position uh, left to fill. So that'll be interesting to see what happens there. Um, And the Fever have two. So they have a replacement for Stacey Francis-Bayman, which is probably a defensive player. And then they have another... Can I say mid-quarter slash backup shooter? Well, it's, it's a mid-quarter slash backup defender because we've got Rudy Ellis as the third defender at the Fever already. Um, but the Fever are kind of building a bit of a different team with, with that versatility. Um, but, yeah, essentially someone in the role that Stacey Francis-Bayman played last year and either Emma Kosh or someone to play the role that Emma Kosh played. So that's 10 players and 10 days. Um, and I will bet that we will not get one a day for the rest of the signing period. I think we'll have my hunches. We'll get a couple over the next couple of days, kind of four or five. And then I think there's going to be a couple of teams that make us wait until the 21st or the 22nd. Yeah, I can see us getting a couple more before the weekend. Um, perhaps one on the weekend, but very unlikely. I don't really love when teams do that. Keep it for the weekday. Um, and then, yeah, I'm suspecting we could be uh, following these updates right up until the 22nd and the deadline on the 22nd. So certainly still is an interesting 10 days ahead for us um, in terms of, yeah, where these where the players that have left clubs, but where also where these gaps are. I mean, Kim Jenner very likely to find herself at another club. So, which club is that? I have no idea. <laughs> Honestly, I have no idea. So yeah, certainly is there. I mean, there's also options for re-signing. So as we spoke about, Liv Lewis, Tibba, um, Taylor Williams, uh, and other players. But there certainly is uh, plenty. There certainly are plenty of gaps for new players um, and training partner elevations and all those sorts of things. So, yes, an interesting few days ahead. But we will turn our attention now to perhaps the other big story, which, to be fair, is not as closely related to the court and is very far from my area of expertise. (laughs) However, we do have someone with some expertise in this area, so this is going to be great. Um, Basically, we're going to talk about the Netball Australia private equity offer, which News Corp reported on Friday. So that was an offer that a private equity group has offered $6.5 million to Netball Australia to help them basically get out of their debt. We don't really know a whole heap about the offer because obviously it's whatever News Corp has reported to this point. Um, 
but yes, it is definitely not my area of expertise. Um, didn't really know what private equity was before I asked on Friday, actually Googled it, to be honest. Um, yeah, I am an early childhood educator by day, but somebody who does deal with this and understands the terminology and probably knew what private equity was as soon as he saw it um, is Dan. Uh, so you're going to help us, me and our listeners, understand where this is all coming from, what impact it could have and what it means for the future of Netball Australia. Um, yeah, how do you feel about that part? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a big job, but um, I guess it's not that scary because we did kind of, you've already seen that, um, and, and we'll probably put it in the show notes, that I did write an explainer over the weekend about kind of a, the, the 101 of this um it's important to note that there are a couple of kit things that will be uh kind of at play for that kind of frame this discussion totally and the first is that uh the bid process and the kind of whole situation here is normally and generally and traditionally and everything else 100 percent confidential you would not normally know about the existence of a private equity bid until the deal is completed and the private equity owns whatever they have just bought. So first off, the fact that we know anything is a little bit unusual. It means that uh, almost everything that we're going to talk about is either unconfirmed or relying on someone else's reporting. Um, where we know something for a fact, we will tell you, um, and everything else we will tell you is, you know, guesswork, research, uh, kind of understanding and knowledge. And, and that is part of the insight that I, I get to have as someone who does deal with these sorts of business deals on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, but there is so much that is unknown because it's a confidential process. Um, and that explainer was about what we know that's good, bad, and then all of the things that we don't know. Which was quite a um, list of questions. <laughs> it was. <laughs> but we might start with what we do know, which is that Matt Berryman um, is at the front of the bid. Uh, Matt Berman is a former cricketer and cricket coach for Victoria and Australia. Um, he's a longtime netball fan. He has been involved as a startup uh, founder, co-founder, uh, sold to private equity, and now works on that side of the deal generally. And he's the front of this bid, which means that we are associating this bid with uh, a group called straight six group which is the group that matt uh, works for as the a chair of an advisor and investor in um but that's not actually confirmed at this point in time just that matt is at the front of the bid all right i'm with you on that <laughs> i'm understanding to this point excellent that's a good start uh but i guess we, we kind of know, obviously, who heads the group. Who else has been mentioned as being involved in this offer? So we've heard that Liz Ellis um, is part of this bid in some form or another. We're not entirely sure whether that's as a financial backer and investor or as an advisor or someone that the group is looking at bringing her in to help run Netball Australia. Um, beyond that, we don't actually know very much. We know that there is a tier one group behind it which means that we've got someone who is a very secure financial um, situation someone who is an expert investor whether that's a bank whether that's a person whether that's a, a different kind of private equity group or whether it's straight six group someone with expertise knowledge and money is kind of at the back of this bid and it's their money that we're essentially talking about going into the sport um, and that comes with a whole lot of positives um they're not going to run out of money they know what they're doing there's not going to be sort of any clerical and compliance or silly errors mm -hmm. um and the fact that people like matt and liz are on board means that we should get a pretty good netball understanding as well um so that's kind of the really good side of what we know so far yeah okay <laughs> we won't go into the bad just yet um what about uh, what the offer is at this point? What's known about the offer? And how do you think it's set up such that it could help Netball Australia? Why, why is an offer like this being made? So private equity is essentially that a 
private company offers to buy shares in a company. In this case, the company is Netball Australia Limited. Um, and in return, they receive those shares. And in theory, the benefits that flow from those shares, which are profits, that's how business works. Um, and so private equity is someone is coming in with an offer. And in this case, we know that the offer is $6.5 million. Uh, we don't know whether that offer is for the entirety of Netball Australia Limited and all of the shares and everything, or whether it is part of it. Um, and we've seen both in sports. So in rugby union in New Zealand recently, a, a different private equity group called Silver Lake recently invested $200 million in the sport and in return bought about 6% of the shares in the commercial interests of New Zealand rugby. We see in the US, uh, in all the kind of major leagues, the teams are all privately owned mm -hmm. and they are sold between, you know, major investors like this. And it's the same thing, but they sell 100% of the team and all the rights to it and all the interests in it. And so you can see a bit of both. And until we know more about this bid, we don't know which it is. And I think that's actually something that's going to be really important for how we view this bid and why we're kind of waiting on Netball Australia's response because they will know how much this bid is for. They will know whether the $6.5 million is for all of the marbles or any some of them. And I think if it's for all of the marbles, that's kind of a red flag because it's not a very big sum of money. And I know that sounds crazy because we talk about six and a half million dollars, but six and a half million dollars for something like Netball Australia seems like a very small valuation when you know that there's four million dollars, four and a half million dollars in debt. So the first four and a half million dollars that is going straight into paying off those debts. And you're really only getting two million dollars for a debt-free organization, which is not a lot, but clearing those debts is a really big deal. Is it just me or does 6.5 sound like nothing? I would have expected if if it's a bid for 100% of the shares in Netball Australia, I would have expected it to be much more than that. Maybe even 10 times that, um, kind of 65 million, that kind of would have been more what I expected. But that's part of why we're in this situation is that Netball Australia isn't in the greatest financial position. They've got four and a half million dollars of bank debts they've made losses for a number of years and there's not a lot of money sitting behind as a reserve so they are in a position where you know someone could say well actually you don't have that much money so maybe you're not worth as much as you might like to think and might like to be worth um, and we'll buy you at less you know sometimes mm -hmm. you get things on sale <laughs> i think the grand final was also on sale <laughs> but that's essentially what this is. i mean this is this is a bid, if it's for a significant portion, is a bid while Netball Australia is low value and on sale. Mm -hmm. Think of it like shopping on Prime Day or Boxing Day sales. Like now's a good time to buy it. <laughs> that was like an analogy I can understand. Um, have You mentioned uh, private equity and obviously private ownership in uh, America and in New Zealand. Has there been any examples of it in Australia? Also recently, a private equity company invested a large sum of money in the A-Leagues and Football Australia. Mm -hmm. I couldn't tell you what it was, but it comes not long, or actually a decade, a decade and a half after Frank Lowy invested a lot of money in um, Football Australia. And so I don't know whether his investment at the time was ownership or just kind of donation, but this was an investment by a private equity company into the A-League for a portion of the commercial rights as well. Um, the exact specifics of the deal kind of escaped me, but it's something that we're seeing as a trend more and more as the world tries to keep up with the fact that, you know, more sports have more money. And so you need more money to keep up mm. um, and private equity is a way to get more money in and keep up on that front. Um, and it means that you have to give away some of the ownership. Yeah, exactly how much ownership will be an interesting thing to sort of see, uh, you know, what the, what the offer actually entails. Um, you wrote in your explainer, your wonderful explainer that helped me understand what in the world was going on, uh, 
that private equity generally though is a way is an exit event so they turn it into a profit and then they sell it for profit they turn it into a profitable profitable business and then they sell it for a profit where does Australia find itself when the group that's taking control and got it to a profitable point then lets it go like obviously sells it to another group person another company how do we ensure that it stays financially viable in the coming years how can private equity sort of help kickstart it I guess so part of that comes back to that valuation that we we're talking about so because when you buy something you buy it at I'm going to take kind of the example of a car but just because it's it's not the perfect analogy but it does okay when you buy a car from the dealership it might be worth 10 grand if it's like it's an old rundown car over the the time afterwards it becomes a vintage car and you take good care of it and you replace the parts and you service it and it runs beautifully now you've got a vintage car you can sell it for 25 grand people don't buy vintage cars to drive them every day they buy them because they want to collect them or they think that it's worthwhile for them and they'll be able to sell it on for more in the future and kind of grow that process on and on. And so private equity will come into the business, service it, clean it, try and make it into something that is a more attractive parcel so that someone else wants to buy it and take it on and the profits that come in the future. And so that valuation matters because if you buy it for six and a half million dollars, you probably want to sell it for five, six, seven times that 30, 40, $50 million. And so if it's valued at $200 million and they buy, well, let's say $100 million, they're buying 6.5%, they're going to want to turn it into a $500 million business. So their 6.5% is worth 30, 40, $50 million. Um, and the way that you kind of value your business is what profit you expect it to make in the future. And so they will try and find ways to turn it into a future profit exercise so that someone wants to buy their shares and values their shares at the amount that they want. So it's not so much that they're in and they're out and everything will fall apart afterwards. They're going to try and turn into something that has that long-term growth so that someone else wants to buy their shares and they can walk away with their profit. Um, how long that takes is anyone's guess. Um, venture capital, which is different to private equity, is often really fast. That's sort of a couple of years. Private equity is generally about the life of a fund. So people put in money for these funds and the funds might last 10, 12, 15 years. And so we might have 10, 12, 15 years before private equity get to the point where they want to realize that profit and sell their shares. It might be sooner if the profit comes faster. It might be a little bit longer if they're still trying to get rid of it. Um, but I would expect it to be somewhere in the region of at least eight to 10 years. Right. Yeah. So a long there is also plan. the possibility that they don't want to sell and they want to continue to just make the profit out of Netball Australia um, and turn it into a kind of a, like an income for the fund. Hmm. But either way, it's a long-term plan and it's going to be about turning Netball into something that is sustainably profitable, not just profitable so they can get out because they're not going to be able to get out if it's not profitable because no one else will buy it no absolutely i think one of the things that you kind of we talked about before is a bit of a concern is who they sell it to um mm. and it could be to another company another investor another private equity company it could be selling it back to whoever owns the netball australia shares at the moment and I don't know who actually holds the shares <laughs> certificates and, and what that looks like because I don't have a lot of experience dealing with selling government bodies or national sporting bodies because they don't go on the market very often. <laughs> um, and so actually who they sell it back to is, is going to be a big question and it'll be something that they have to deal with because they're not going to be able to sell if there's no one to buy it. So they obviously mm. either don't intend to sell or have an idea of who they'd like to sell it to. So in terms of that $6.5 million offer and what, obviously we don't know how many shares that is at the moment. We don't know if that's taking over the whole business or taking over part of the business. If it is just taking over a certain percentage of the business, the, the shares they've bought is less than 20%, let's say. What does that mean 
for how Netball Australia can run and sort of continue and what influence they have on Netball Australia versus if they have bought a much higher percentage and possibly even 100%. So if they've bought more than about 50 or 60% of the shares, they're going to have what's called control in the technical sense. And that means that they can decide who sits on the board, make decisions, and they have enough numbers to make their decisions happen. Um, mm -hmm. So you can say, you know, we're going to go to a vote um, because companies have to make decisions by vote, but we have enough people to win the vote. So we will get what we want. Um, and that could be anything from the composition of the board, who's in charge of, you know, CEO, COO spots. It could be major sporting decisions. It could be appointing a commission. Um, all of these things could be, if they have control, they can essentially do whatever they like um, about it. They can make whatever they want to happen, happen in one way or another. If they're buying a smaller percentage, there may be a requirement as part of the deal that they have a board seat or a couple mm -hmm. of board seats and something like that. Cause that's pretty common. If you're investing a lot of money and, and taking a big kind of financial risk, you want to have some sort of control. Um, and if it's just, you know, a really small percentage, like what happened in New Zealand where only five or 6%, I don't know what control they have, but chances are it's not much and you're going to see kind of proportional control depending on how much they own. So if they're taking 25%, they're going to have more control than if it's 5%. If they take 60%, it's obviously going to be even more control. Um, what they're getting, we don't know. We can ask Matt Berriman, we can ask Netball Australia. Chances are they're not going to tell us, but it'll be worth asking at some point. Definitely will be. Um at this stage, there that's the extent of my questions. Um, what questions do you still have? Like what, what are the big, massive, obviously we've talked about some of the unknowns here, but what are the other unknowns? We don't know what the offer completely entails, but what else are the unknowns of how this can affect Netball Australia? Well, part of it is going to be how much they have because that will tell us whether they can just come in and ch make changes or whether they have to work with the existing people there or how they might have to work with them. Um, I'd be interested to know what they're thinking of doing in terms of how to turn it into a profit because mm. Netball Australia has plenty of untapped potential. In marketing, we've talked about maybe, you know, expansion franchises, um, maybe, you know, some diamond success probably doesn't hurt either, you know, come back with gold medals and <laughs> all of a sudden everyone's a little bit happier. Um, that's obviously not within peak control, but what they're, going to get with this deal and then what they plan on doing once they're in those are kinds of the two really big questions um and that will kind of a lot of my smaller questions fall under one of those things like i'd love to know if they're going to get on the front foot and, try and get the cba done over the next few months so that players can start to sign contracts and we don't have the madness we had last year where every single player was off contract at a time and whether they're going to try and renegotiate the broadcast deal with so many years left or Suncorp's naming rights with so many years left. Those are all things that they might do, they might not, and will depend on the control and actually what's written in those contracts as well. We won't know that. But they also, you know, potentially have the ability to do things like change the court product. You know, we could see theoretically a return to international style netball with no timeouts no rolling subs no super shot we could see the introduction of dribbling <laughs> like no no it's it's theoretically all on the table um you know in terms of what they wanted to do to turn into a product and i can see the attraction of becoming a competitor of basketball because basketball is not that well run in australia you could probably get a market share but also then are you really netball um no you're not and <laughs> but kind of that that's the breadth of what's mm. theoretically on the table um and until we know what control they have and kind of what they plan to do in terms of turning to profit you know are they going to touch the on-court product or are they exclusively planning on using the off-court stuff the advertising the names the the name image likeness player appearances you know, is that on the table are something like what they're planning 
And that's a really big question. And, and we won't know, really, we won't know after the deal's done either. Um, it's going to take a while to find out probably some time in charge and they'll, um, they'll do what's called due diligence, which is where you turn over every page of every contract and every book and look at all the potential issues and deal with it. So they're going to know what they're walking into by the time they either finish this deal or they don't. Um, and if they walk away, it might be over due diligence, but mm -hmm. again, great unknowns. <laughs> so see. many unknowns. Um, with so many unknowns, is there any kind of, from your experience, timeline here? Like what, how, how long can these things take? How long can the due diligence take? How long until we find out if they have bought $6.5 million worth of Nepal Australia? So some of the due diligence is probably underway. Um, look, and look, some of these deals come together I've worked on deals that came together in about six or seven months. I've worked on deals that came together in about six weeks. Mm -hmm. um, and theoretically, if you wanted to do it in less, I know of deals that have come together in a week, a week and a half. It's really tough work on the lawyers and the accountants, but they get paid to work nights sometimes. It's like it, we work nights and weekends when the deal is really that hot, we'll do it. Um, and so it's going to be about how long they want to take. My guess mm -hmm. is that everyone would like to have this done early enough that it's, it's all settled by next season. So probably sort of September mm -hmm. so that everyone can settle in before the season. But again, great unknowns. And that's something that actually neither side will already know. Um, they'll have an idea of how fast they want to move. But until they're like, right, we're going to go ahead with this, there won't be any thought about actually here's our deadline day mm -hmm. now back to some player perspective here the players association released a statement on monday um quite an interesting statement uh your thoughts on it dan um look it was a nice statement um i have to say i didn't love seeing it um i'm a bit concerned about the fact that the players seem to have found a preferred bid um, and that's obviously really good PR by the bid. But if, you know, this is the player's preferred bid and actually there's a better deal for Netball Australia from someone else, um, I would hate to see a situation where the players association and the fans are turned against Netball Australia because it's not their preferred bid, even though it's not the best deal. Um, and look, I like the fact that the private equity group have decided to come in and consult the players and get them on site and get them on board. And that's a big part of it because the players are huge stakeholders, but to have a preferred bid before we know that the, like what the market looks like, um, is a little bit of a kind of flag for me. I'd love to see the players say, we'd like to see this bid. Um, if there's any others, you know, we're open to hearing what else is going on and who else is out there. And then once Netball Australia settles on a deal, then I think is the time for the players to get 100% behind the bid and say, yes, this bid is great for us. It's great for the sport. It's great for everyone. But until we know that there's only one bid or this is the right bid, this is the best bid and all those things, um, I'd love just to see the players supporting dialogue about Netball and the things that are on the table for them rather than picking out a bid to support particularly. Yeah, no, that's absolutely fair enough. We were talking about it, um, our little group from over a third and how, and also, as you say, at the top, they're confident. They're normally confidential bids. They're normally um, not this public. So, you know, there could be other bids in the background that are like other offers to Netball Australia in the background that we don't know about. By the sounds of it, there are. So we, I had a chat to a Netball Australia representative who said that um, there was uh, interest uh, from a number of people and organisations who want to support the sport and show the strength of the Netball brand. Um, I don't know whether that means that there are other people in talks about making a bid or other people have made a bid. Um, again, that's confidential. And really, this has come out because someone wanted it to 
Mm. Um, if neither side wants it to come out, you're not going to hear about it. Um, but the fact that there is lots of interest is good. But until, again, until we know that this is the best deal, um, there'll be a little bit of doubt in my mind. Absolutely. Fair enough. Well, I hope that that has cleared up some questions that people um, listening and it's definitely cleared up some things for myself and uh, the explainer itself was a really good piece over the weekend, Dan. So well done on that one because, yes, helped make it easy to read and easy to understand for people like myself who have not done business since year nine. (laughs) Good stuff. Um, But, yeah, I think that's... That that does it for this week's big news. <laughs> it's a good episode for us. It's a lot of news going on. So much news. And we were worried about leading up to the Com Games, the signing period sort of not quite providing the num- and enough information for uh, each episode, but it certainly certainly has done that yeah. and more. Every time, every week. But yes, it is now what, 15, no, 17 days. 17 days from the com games and by the time this episode goes up it would be 15 dan's freaking out a little bit uh not that you can yeah, see him but yeah a little bit <laughs> <laughs> he is certainly breaking out but uh it will certainly be an exciting time so i think we'll sort of start to get into a bit of diamonds next week because i do believe that the diamonds are in camp um or they will be in even more of a camp by the, by the time um we're recording next week and sort of all together and all ready to play it's a long stretch for those players that played in the grand final they're sort of still going but um yeah we'll sort of start to dive into diamonds a little bit wrap up what we know until the what will it be the 19th or 20th of july we'll still have a couple of days left of the signing period so let's see what we can get out before then um yes an exciting time and you know stay tuned we we are going to stay right on top of everything we talked about tonight there will be more for sure on this private equity bid and we will have everything you know as fast as we can and we'll try and keep the analysis and explanation as simple as we can plus you know we've got the signing news as it's happening so make sure you stay tuned to over a third on social media and you know our podcast because there's plenty coming plenty more coming that's for sure yes make sure you are following us on instagram and twitter at over a third pod because we are uh, updating with signing news as it's happening basically um and then also anything any news related to private equity offers uh and any other big stories coming out of netball i mean we'll be across it in some <laughs> in some capacity uh and then yes we will start to head into com games and diamonds themes uh, and then yeah continue on our way but yeah it's been another great episode thank you so much for taking the time to explain everything Dan it's definitely helped um, myself and I'm sure other listeners otherwise thank you for listening to this episode uh, this has been over a third podcast you can find us on twitter and instagram at over a third pod and all of our netball stories are on edgeofthecrowd.com so make sure you check out we'll leave dan's in the show notes um the explainer article but make sure you check out any further articles on edgeofthecrowd.com thanks for listening and we'll be back next week